the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing, Clark Hilton Engineering, and Dan Rice has given up the use of his office for the sake of the cause. We're going to share a conversation I had with Craig Prather later today. The book is uh, Transformed by the Spirit. We'll also take a look at uh, whether or not Christians should think biblically about politics or think politically about faith. That's coming up in today's program as well. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to consider how you might like to help your dad on Father's Day and to make it extra special this year. Well, you can enter our Father's Day giveaway and you could win $1,000 in cash for your dad. And we've made it easy for you to participate. All you need to do is go to kpdq.com, enter the keyword father, and to increase your opportunity to win, you can enter once each day now through June the 20th. Plus, we're providing you with bonus entries you can earn, too. So enter today at kpdq.com, keyword father. It's a pretty good deal. Hope you'll take advantage of it. Well, taking a look at the news, as Oregon uh, nears Governor Kate Brown's goal of 70 percent vaccination, that's, of course, against COVID-19, the Oregon Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, they're going to ease workplace guidelines once we hit that vaccination mark. Well, since the pandemic began, Oregon OSHA, they've received about 24,000 complaints about businesses and workplaces not complying with safety rules. In a typical year, Oregon receives only about 2,000. So compare that, 24,000 during the pandemic as opposed to 2,000. And this is in the course of a year during the um, uh, a regular year. However, in coordination with the uh, with the governor's announcement that face coverings will no longer be needed in most public settings once that 70 percent of Oregonians is vaccinated, Oregon OSHA, they plan to repeal their basic face covering and physical distancing requirements at work. We've always said this rule was tied to the pandemic. That's Aaron Corvin. He's a spokesman for the uh, for OSHA. As of now, about 66 percent of uh, Oregon adults have received at least one COVID-19 shot. That compares to about 63 percent nationally. Well, President Biden has also pushed toward the goal of 70 percent vaccination by July the 4th. So just, this wasn't an idea original to Oregon Governor Brown. That's really what the push for June is uh, moving forward. That's uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, to understand all of the reasons why people might not have yet rolled, op- uh, rolled over, <laughs> Freudian slip, rolled up their sleeves uh, and meet them where they are. Uh, we're going to end this outbreak for absolutely certain and the vehicle to ending the vaccination uh, to ending it is vaccination. Dr. Anthony Fauci says, well, local health experts agree that vaccines are working. Oregon cases, hospitalizations and deaths are declining for restrictions to really ease up. Oregon health authorities said about 127,000 more people need to get the shot. Well, in the meantime, Oregon OSHA is still reviewing about a third of its remaining uh, complaints. 
Uh, OSHA said it's uh, issued citations totaling $44,600 in penalties to four employee uh, employers in May. That's significant. All of those cases involved willful violations of rules designed to protect workers from potential exposure to the coronavirus, according to the news release. While the citations were issued to two restaurants, a bakery and a wood products company in Deschutes, Wasco, Lynn and Multnomah counties, penalties ranged from $8,900 to $17,000. Oregon OSHA said violations included willfully failing to ensure workers and customers wore face coverings indoors and allowing indoor dining despite operating in a, a county that was designated as extreme risk at the time. Well, the cited businesses were Obstructed View Incorporated, uh, Cork Cellars Wine and Bistro, and Sisters. They willfully chose to allow indoor dining despite a public health order limiting capacity to zero in Deschutes County. They paid about 70, or at least billed about $17,800. Uh, that citation has been appealed. Loretta Berkey, that's in um, Baker well, I guess it's a country bakery <laughs> in Halsey, willfully didn't ensure face coverings were worn inside the establishment. The penalty there, $8,900. They also committed a violation by not posting the required COVID-19 hazard poster for workers uh, to see. The total penalty, $9,000. Uh, last stop LLC in the Dalles willfully chose to allow indoor dining despite a public health order, limiting capacity to zero in Wasco County. The total penalty there, $8,900. That citation is being appealed. And Creative Woodworking Northwest, Inc. in Portland willfully did not ensure face coverings were worn inside the establishment. Their penalty, $8,900. The citation is being appealed in that case as well. Well, now that risk levels and restrictions are relaxing, on the 14th of June, Oregon OSHA will begin discussing the, po- the process rather to phase out these rules, but citations may still be given to businesses that violated their earlier plans. So there you have it. The Gestapo has spoken. Well, Oregon and much of the Pacific Northwest is headed into fire season, and it's very dry. Now, you'll recall last year was, uh, at least for many of us, unprecedented. Summer is still a couple of weeks away, but we're already in wildfire season in the Pacific Northwest. Just last week, we saw a fire break out in the Columbia Gorge. Luckily, it was uh, quickly contained. So what we can expect to see over the next couple of months when we really see our temperatures start to warm up, well, crews are already expecting this year to be very busy. Well, Oregon and much of the Pacific Northwest is heading into fire season very dry. In fact, we just saw the driest meteorological spring on record. That goes from March the 1st to the 31st of May. Because of the lack of rainfall, we're expected to see an active season. That's according to a fire meteorologist with the Northwest Interagency Coordination Center, Eric Wise. We're expected to have an active season. This is due to the extreme drought conditions that pervasive uh, uh, across the northwest states going into the season. So just how dry has it been? Well, in March, we only saw 1.55 inches of rain. April was driest on record with 0.39 inches of rain. In May, it was 0.58 inches of rain. Those three months combined added up to 2.50 inches of rain. In a normal spring, we should get over nine inches of rain during those three months. Instead, 2.50 there is a lot of concern heading into summer. Now, Wise, again, who is a fire meteorologist with the Northwest Interagency Coordination Center, said the early start to our warm weather 
uh, that we saw in April and May is why we're going to see a big risk across the state. Remember how great our snowpack was this past winter? Well, in mid-February, Timberline had a base of 154 inches, and the snow down in government camp was measured in feet. Well, that snowpack that melted off and keeps our streams and rivers running in the summer quickly evaporated when temperatures started to warm up over the last couple of months. Well, Mr. Wise said that he's expecting the west side of the mountains to be above normal for the threat to danger. And the big concern this summer is going to be along the east side of the state, where they're currently seeing extreme drought or an exceptional drought, especially in parts of southern Oregon. But it's not just how dry things are over the uh, uh, the east side of the state that's of concern heading into the summer. Crews will be paying close attention to storms coming up from an active monsoon season where storms could produce severe thunderstorms that could t- lead to wildfires. So if you're looking for things to pray about, you might want to remember to pray for drought conditions in the Pacific Northwest and in the state of Oregon in particular and Washington. Representative Nearman, he's uh, facing expulsion over the breach of the Oregon Capitol. House Republicans are calling for resignation instead. Well, Oregon House Speaker Tina Kotek wants to expel the Republican lawmaker who allowed protesters into the state capitol in December. Now, Kotek introduced a resolution that says if two-thirds of the members of the House of Representatives concur, Representative Mike Nearman would be expelled from the House. Minutes before the House opened its floor session last Monday morning, her office announced that Kotek appointed a committee to consider expulsion. Well, the committee, composed of three Democrats and three Republicans, will convene later this week and take up the resolution, Kotek's uh, press release uh, stated. Well, hours later, House Republican leader Christine Drazen, she told KGW that Republicans wrote a letter to Nearman calling for him to resign. We have uh, to hold ourselves to a higher standard if elected life and his actions do not meet that standard, Drazen said. Well, the incident on the 21st of December, you might recall, rattled lawmakers and staff inside the Capitol and foreshadowed the January 6th event on the U.S. Capitol by rioters spurred on by, um, well, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, several of those who were among the uh, the uh, crowds in Salem on the 21st of December later were in Washington during the U.S. Capitol attack. Well, as lawmakers met in emergency sessions on the 21st of December to deal with economic um, fallouts from the coronavirus pandemic, rioters entered the building. They uh, sprayed chemical irritants at police who finally expelled them. Outside, protesters broke windows on the Capitol and assaulted journalists. Well, later, security camera video emerged showing uh, near um, Representative Nearman opening a door to the Capitol, which was closed to the public because of the coronavirus pandemic, and he allowed protesters to enter. He allegedly told people in a video days earlier that he would let them in if they texted him, and he provided his cell phone number. The video was first reported Friday by Oregon Public Broadcasting. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, I want to share a conversation I had with Craig Prather. He's the author of Transformed by the Spirit. That's coming up in the next couple of segments. Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is calling Vice President Kamala Harris's immigration comments disappointing as the vice president warns migrants do not come. Well, New York Democrat Representative Ocasio-Cortez called Vice President Kamala Harris comments on immigration disappointing on Monday after Harris said during a press conference that migrants looking to cross the U.S. border should not come. 
In a Twitter post, uh, the representative said, coming to the U.S. border seeking asylum is a legal method of arrival. The progressive Democrat also said the U.S. has contributed to destabilization in certain areas of Latin America, and we can't help uh, set someone's house on fire and then blame them for fleeing. Uh, As previously reported, Harris made comments appearing to clarify the administration's stance on immigration during a visit to Guatemala, where she said the U.S. intends to continue working towards securing its border. I want to emphasize that the goal of our work is to help Guatemalans find hope at home. At the same time, I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making the dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border, do not come Do not come, she said. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur, end quote. Well, the vice president said the administration would discourage illegal migration and that people who arrive at the border um, that way would be turned back. As she is visiting both Mexico and Guatemala this week to address the root causes of migration, Senate GOP whip John Thune said other Republican lawmakers are urging the Democrat to narrow the scope of her mission to address longstanding immigration enforcement issues closer to home. Now, Thune said in a statement that to National Review, rather, that while we should all hope for quick end to the crisis at the border, he hasn't seen a willingness from this administration to revert back to policies that were working. I hope the vice president's trip lets her take an honest look at the open border signals she and President Biden uh, have been sending to the cartels and traffickers. But I would implore her and the president to also visit the border to see firsthand the crisis their policies have created. Well, President Biden lifted the Trump era migrant protection protocols, which required asylum seekers to remain in Mexico while their claims are being adjudicated. Well, since that rollback, roughly 40 percent of asylum seekers are ultimately allowed to enter the country, and many of them will never appear for their designated court dates, according to historical trends. Republican critics and Border Patrol agents, they've argued that Biden administration's lifting of the Trump era enforcement policies uh, sent a signal to would-be migrants and their traffickers that the border was open, causing a drastic spike in attempted illegal entries. More than 170,000 migrants were apprehended at the border in May, setting a 20-year record. Well, the vice president moved to preempt that line of criticism during her Monday joint press conference with Guatemala President Alejandro, uh, telling prospective migrants bluntly, do not come. We will discourage illegal migration, she commented. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border, she went on to say. In other developments, Twitter mocked the vice president for passing out cookies of her face, well, rather her faceless head, to reporters. I'm still trying to figure out what the thinking was behind that. Uh, The cookie looks like her, only it has no facial features. Her hair, her jewelry, her suit, everything else is very much... Kamala Harris, but again, she has no facial features. Well, Harris told the Guatemalan president that migration is a top priority after he blamed the United States for the recent surge. Meanwhile, California authorities are vowing justice against a couple accused of a six-year-old's road rage murder. A South Carolina couple suspected in connection with that road rage killing of a six-year-old boy last month will appear in court today as officials promise to get justice for the child in what they described as a disturbing case. Marcus Anthony Ares, 24, and Wen Lee, 23, were arrested Sunday at their home in Costa Mesa, located about 40 miles, uh, miles rather, south of Los Angeles, in the death of Aiden Leos. 
uh, vehicle, a white Volkswagen, and a gun used in the incident were recovered at different locations, California Highway Patrol Assistant Chief Don Goodbrand said during the news conference. Officials declined to disclose rather details of what led to their capture or how the pair was linked to the shooting. Prosecutors are still deciding what charge to bring. Um, Eris and Lee are being held in the Orange County Jail for on a million-dollar bond each. The arrest came after a two-week manhunt and a day after a weekend memorial service for Leos, who was remembered as a child with a vocabulary beyond his years, who exuded warmth and tenderness. Leos was shot on the 21st of May while seated in a booster seat on the rear passenger side of the car being driven by his mother. Joanna Clunan, as she drove uh, on State uh, Route 55 in the city of Orange, on her way to drop him off at school. And again, he was just a, um, a small boy. Unacceptable. Well, Michigan has confirmed the first human case of a virus with a 40% fatality rate. Well, Michigan health officials on Monday reported the state's first confirmed human case of the deadly Hunta virus. Well, the rat-borne illness, which U.S. health officials say cannot be transmitted person to person, is typically passed to patients when they breathe in uh, contaminated air with the virus through rodent droppings. Well, the confirmed case under investigation by county and state health officials involved a woman in um, a county there recently hospitalized with a serious pulmonary illness from San Nombre hantavirus, according to a release from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The individual was likely exposed when cleaning an unoccupied dwelling that contained signs of an active rodent infestation. It's also possible to contract the virus through a bite from an infected rodent or if people touch something that has been contaminated with rodent uh, urine, droppings, or saliva and then touch their own nose or mouth. It may also be possible to contract the virus by eating food contaminated by an infected rodent's droppings, urine, or saliva, according to the Centers for Disease Control. But again, it cannot be contracted person to person. In other developments, the FDA has approved uh, Biogen's Alzheimer's drug, and a study shows a new breast cancer pill reduces recurrence and the risk of death associated with breast cancer. Ilhan Omar says America, like Hamas and the Taliban, has committed unthinkable atrocities. And Atlanta police arrested a man in a drive-by shooting spree through the Tawny Buckhead area. Victims included the father of three. An ex-McDonald's CEO is warning wage hikes could have unintended consequences. Meanwhile, former President Donald Trump says the Bitcoin is a scam. The U.S. dollar should dominate. Well, a British woman is facing possible jail time over so-called transphobic tweet. We can thank God for the First Amendment here, though there are certain challenges here as well. From the story, none of this is surprising. Free expression rights are being assaulted across Western Europe. In Scotland, for instance, though uh, only 5% disagree with the statement, free speech is an important right. 21% believe it should be a criminal offense to say that someone born biologically male cannot become a woman. And 40% under the age of 25 believe this. Earlier this year, the Scottish government proposed hate crimes legislation that would come with seven years imprisonment for stirring up hatred. And hate speech laws are gaining momentum here as well, and of course, hate speech is uh, so broadly defined, a simple disagreement uh, qualifies. A Democrat congresswoman compares America and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban. Omar says we have seen unthinkable atrocity, atrocities rather committed by the U.S. 
Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban, making no distinction. The U.S. government has seized the majority of Colonial Pipeline ransom money, locating and seizing the money from the virtual currency wallet used by DarkSide. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll hear a conversation I had with Craig Prather. His book, Transformed by the Spirit. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I've been looking forward to a conversation in these next two segments with Craig Prather. He is the author of Transformed by the Spirit. It's a culmination of seven and a half years of formal study in spiritual formation and theology between his undergraduate and graduate work at Multnomah University and Seminary. Well, the main issue that Transformed by the Spirit addresses is the need for all of us as followers of Jesus to develop our relationship with the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through the various spiritual disciplines and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're in union with Christ at uh, conversion, yet we're not going to fully be perfected in Christ until He returns, and He will return. Uh, Therefore, my next guest points out, we must always work toward Christ-likeness in an effort to become fully mature Christians who comprise a fully mature church. You can find more in Ephesians 4. Well, Craig Prather, he serves as an adjunct professor of spiritual formation and pastoral ministries at Multnomah University, currently a doctoral student of spiritual formation at Denver Seminary. Craig also has an MDiv from Multnomah University with a concentration in spiritual formation. He is the author of Moved by the Spirit, a daily devotional and living doxology, and currently resides in Reno, Nevada with his family. And we are delighted to have you with us back here in the Pacific Northwest. Welcome. Yes, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, let's talk about spiritual formation, because it's a phrase that's often used, but I want to make sure our listeners understand what we're talking about. What is spiritual formation? Sure. Um, so spiritual formation is really not the act of being formed, but more so being transformed mm-hmm. into Christ-likeness uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through various spiritual disciplines. Uh, such as prayer, meditation, uh, worship, um, fasting, uh, and time in solitude with the Father. And uh, through those uh, various different disciplines, we're able to really build our relationship uh, closer with Christ um, to help form us more in His likeness. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. (laughs) Again, the title of your book is Transformed by the Spirit, and that is exactly what you have uh, described. Now, what you are talking about is a spiritual discipline that we purpose toward, but it's a partnership with the work of the Spirit in us. Is this part of the process of sanctification? Yes, um, very much so. In fact, um, we're not meant to do it alone. <laughs> and mm-hmm. So just like in, uh, in Genesis, where um, Adam was formed, Eve was also there, of course, with him, uh, it, it wasn't good that mankind was alone. And so uh, we have partners in, in faith, sisters and brothers in the faith that help form us in our spiritual formation. And we also have, of course, the Holy Spirit, most importantly, inside of us that helps us to grow uh, towards Christ-likeness as well. And so it's really a two-way relationship. And, uh, and I consider it um, just kind of like getting to know a friend or, you know, some, some uh, family member that uh, you go and visit quite often. You want to get to know how they're doing and how things are going. And it's similar to that way. It's, it's a relationship just like we would have on earth. Of course, it's more holy because it's sanctified. And so um, for us, we, yeah, we must definitely engage in the process ourselves uh, in order to be more obedient and be more willing um, to get closer to Christ. Now, oftentimes, our um, our own failures um, 
are the thing that move us toward pursuing a relationship or a deeper relationship with God. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and the role that falling short can play in drawing us uh, toward him in order to seek a deeper and more meaningful relationship with the one who knows us best? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but <laughs> most of the time when I'm suffering through something in my life, it's, mm-hmm. it's really then that I tend to look up to God for help. Yeah, and so, you know, I believe that, that uh, the real spiritual coming of age is when we can praise God, not just in our blessings, but also in our trials. Um, and it's interesting, you know, in the Lord's prayer, prayer where it says, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That word in Greek, uh, in temptation, that word is actually translated as, as trial and tribulation. So what we're indeed saying or asking for, because God would never lead us into a temptation, is we're asking God, um, don't let one of your trials or your, your, tre- your tests or tribulations turn into Satan's temptation. And so we're, we're praying for that in a way in which when we go through a hard time in our life, we can really be formed spiritually because we're allowing God to help us grow through those hardships. And um, that's really uh, what's helped me um, personally, you know, grow close, grow closer to Christ is just being able to um, face challenges and know that God is always there uh, with me through it. No matter what has happened, when I look back in my life on, in hindsight, you know, I, I realized that God was there and got me through it. And that builds my faith and my trust for the next challenge to come. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a bit about your own journey and what you've discovered along the way. Sure. Um, well, I've had pretty, uh, pretty much an eclectic uh, journey. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I was uh, born again and water baptized as a young man at uh, age 12 at a small Lutheran church in Sparks, Nevada, uh, and that was back in 1988. And then I became really more involved with the church throughout my teen years. So I was a member of you know, several non-denominational and charismatic churches and uh, where I served in different ministries, youth ministry um, and worship team, and did some discipleship with other people there. And then I was uh, mentored by a wonderful man uh, named David for about 15 years, and he really took me under his wing. He hosted a small group in the Reno area, a small Bible study group, and uh, I learned a lot in that, and the, the Bible really had come, sort of come to life through these small group meetings. And so I felt God's call on my life at that moment, that point. I thought, you know, instead of learning about God, maybe I need to uh, share, you know, God's uh, love and wisdom with other people. So I, I felt God call uh, me into ministry. And I, uh, so then I subsequently enrolled in a, in a Bible college at Multnomah University uh, in my undergraduate uh, days back in uh, 2013. And then I graduated in 2017 with my, my Bachelor of Art in Biblical and Theological Studies uh, and then decided to keep going and, and went for my Master's of Divinity and got that and was blessed to graduate top of my class in 2020. And then, yeah, now I'm currently enrolled in Denver Seminary uh, in their Doctorate of Ministry program in Spiritual Formation. So um, God's really taken me under his wing and, and had all the provisions for me <laughs> along the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit about my journey. Yeah, my spiritual journey. Again, we're talking with Craig Prather. He's the author of Transformed by the Spirit. The book is published by Karis Publishing and currently available. Your first chapter is titled Relational Theology, and this is really what we've been talking about in Transformed by the Spirit. We don't often put relational and theology together. Uh, Talk a bit about that and where we begin in this effort to to apply the disciplines that draw us nearer to him by the power of the Holy Spirit, but also make us more like him in that process. Yeah, you know, relationships are are, are very important. Um, kind of as I touched on earlier, it's, you know, psychologically, <laughs> human beings don't do well in isolation. We're 
we're, we're you know, very much happier with, with someone there or a partner there or even just a friend um, or spouse. And so, uh, you know, sadly, the, the fact's been revealed in the number of increased suicides and things that, um, you know, we, especially during this isolation time with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but mankind was never meant to be alone. And so God created the entire universe and everything in it. Um, and then, of course, he called it good. Uh, but the only part he doesn't say that's good is when Adam didn't have a partner. And so um, this is kind of, in my opinion, why we have to focus on healthy relationships with both God um, and each other. And by doing that, we build our relationship with God uh, at the same time through the Holy Spirit just by spending time with them, just like we'd spend time with a family member or, or, or a friend or a loved one. Um, we, we spend time and follow. I, I go out every day and uh, enjoy God's creation before me, and I, I pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal something to me. And sometimes I have to quiet, and that's hard to do because I like to talk. And uh, so, <laughs> so sometimes I just have to kind of be quiet and let God speak to me. Um, one of my favorite courses was a prayer class that I took in seminary, uh, and the instructor had us just go out into nature and just sit there for four hours, and we weren't allowed to do anything except journal. <laughs> and so. And that was challenging because Satan was, you know, of course, close by trying to distract me at every moment. But, uh, but I got through it, and, and some wonderful revelation came about from reading Scripture and then meditating and praying upon it. And those are all relationship builders. Um, God knows every hair on our head, uh, as the Bible says. So it, I feel it's our obligation uh, to get to know Him better um, as, as being our Creator. And what a tremendous invitation we have been given to draw near to him. And I think sometimes it's lost on us. What an amazing invitation that is, uh, that we're invited at any time into his presence. And he promises to be with us always. Uh, So to decline that invitation uh, is perhaps more revealing of our lack of appreciation than anything else. Yes, that's so true. So true. We're talking with uh, Craig Prather. He's the author of Transformed by the Spirit. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment, but I do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Craig Prather. He has some connection here in the Pacific Northwest. He's also the author most recently of Transformed by the Spirit. The book is published by Karis Publishing and really um, is precisely what it says, being transformed by the Spirit and the things that we can do to cooperate with the Spirit, to draw us nearer to uh, to Him and to one another, and maturing us uh, in the process. One of your chapters focuses on um, spiritual formation throughout the ages. This isn't an, a, a newfangled idea, this, this notion of spiritual formation. <laughs> Give us a little bit of that, that history that places us squarely in the mainstream of, of Christianity uh, from, from its origins. Yeah, very good. So, you, Christ, yeah, it's basically spiritual formation, as you mentioned, yeah, it goes way back. Um, I suppose you could even say to Adam and Eve and, and God himself, but, but uh, in terms of, of our, our formation with Christ, uh, you know, the disciples themselves were being formed, you could say, uh, in, in a sense, because they were, they were living with God incarnate and uh, learning from him and spending time with him and building a relationship with him in the form of Jesus Christ. And so um, the process really began there. Um, and of course, not long after, you know, you have several of the, the patriarchs, um, of course, you know, um, Athanasius, and you've, uh, you've got Anselm, one of the uh, medieval theologians who I, I really respect uh, some of their, their process uh, between Bernard of Clairvaux and Anselm and some of these, 
these medieval theologians because what they would do is they would literally go out in the desert, just wait for, you know, God to inspire them and journal what he said. (laughs) And it would often be a lonely time. Um, but they, and I, I model my own practice after that uh, in some of these monastics, um, these these medieval monastics that, that they would they would do that. Uh, Antony, uh, Antony of uh, one of the Desert Fathers, did the same type of practice where he would go out and he'd get these great visions and revelations um, just by praying to God in the Spirit in solitude, um, sometimes for days, sometimes fasting for for weeks at a time. And so throughout the ages, um, you know, Martin Luther, you can uh, name all the all the head honchos in theology. I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, they've all taken the time uh, to build the relationship with God that they can thereby extrapolate doctrine or or, uh, their their own particular theology in some cases um, from those experiences. And it's really, um, again, kind of goes back to that relationship component that, uh, yeah, all of these patriarchs throughout history, from the the disciples till you and I, (laughs) we've, uh, you know, we've all spent time in that, in that uh, building pro- that relationship building process, and that's yielded fruit for us um, that we can then pass on to others. Yeah, let's talk about the spiritual disciplines. I mean, that that word discipline um, is sort of uh, causes people to to shrink back just a bit because discipline is not a, f- a favorable word, even though it it can be such a beautiful <laughs> word. Talk about some of the spiritual disciplines sure. that draw us nearer to Him, at deepen our understanding of Scripture, and also transform us by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, spiritual disciplines. You know, they there's of course some traditional ones. There there's prayer, of course, and fasting. Um, some other disciplines might be uh, a, what they call a spirit-led tradition, and then that just it basically has a goal of living a balanced uh, spiritual life, uh, where you seek to unite the mind and the heart. You know, instead of setting them in opposition to each other. Uh, you're sort of praying for a harmony there. Um, then there's also what they call, uh, you know, the holiness tradition, and then then that centers around the formation process, um, sort of sort of building from the inside out. Um, so you're really focused on an internal perspective of prayer and, and contemplative prayer, uh, where you maybe take a scripture or a passage that you that you've been reading and you sort of meditate on it for a while and ask the Holy Spirit as you're reading it to really reveal some deeper truths. Uh, to you there. So contemplative prayer is important to you. Um, and then, of course, just being compassionate towards others, um, loving towards others is another another one of the disciplines. Um, journaling is, interestingly enough, uh, one of the one of the spiritual disciplines where you, you know, you maybe you go throughout your day and you interacted with some challenging times and you want to journal that experience and then reflect upon it later and pray to God and ask, how could I have handled that differently? Or, you know, what could I have done better? And, uh, and those are all reflective tools that we use, um, you know, to really help grow us. And of course, the Holy Spirit's involved each and every step of the way. <laughs> and so he, uh, he really helps us get through it. Um, they have what's called a rule of life. It's a disciplinary rule. And the rule of life, um, some, as some theologians, they refer to it. Uh, it's not really a set of rules necessarily um, that makes us accountable to God, because that would be legalism. <laughs> but uh, instead, it's, it's really disciplinary rules as a pattern of living um, our life. So um, some people, maybe their rule of life is, is that they, they want to fast uh, you know, to uh, take time in fasting uh, instead of, um, you know, eating or whatever, they'll fast from food, or maybe they'll fast actually from just electronics in this day and age or, or TV mm-hmm. or something like that. And then they'll replace that time with prayer. 
And so that would be like a spiritual rule of life where you, you devote yourself to doing that uh, on a regular basis. You can make a, a rule for your life that I'm going to pray, you know, uh, for this many minutes every day and, and then increase it, or those kind of things. And so, yeah, so reading, of course, reading scripture is obviously a discipline, uh, meditation, giving thanks, and, and uh, like I said, journaling, those can all be spiritual disciplines as well. You mentioned the assignment that you were given to spend time out in nature for four hours journaling um, and not speaking, yeah. but just just journaling. You have a chapter yeah. in here on yeah. um, spiritual warfare. When we engage in yes. and are purposeful and mindful of pressing into God and drawing nearer to him, it doesn't take place in a vacuum. There is spiritual uh, warfare that goes on, the enemy of our soul who desires to distract us mm-hmm. and minimize the impact that the spirit is making. Can you talk a bit about that chapter mm-hmm. and how? How we should uh, approach this notion of spiritual warfare as we are purposing to um, experience spiritual transformation through the disciplines. Yeah, thanks for asking that. Yeah, you, this is actually one of my favorite chapters of the book. Um, and so, yeah, spiritual warfare is something that I think a lot of Christians tend to put on the back burner or, or even neglect in, in some ways and, and, and sort of you know write it off as. Uh, not a big deal, but it's very much uh, an important piece of of our battle. And uh, and so what I did in that chapter is I basically broke down all of the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter six. Mm-hmm. Paul lays out um, uh, the belts of truth, you know, breastplate of righteousness. Um, I also did the uh, the feet of readiness and uh, the shield of faith. And of course, um, our our offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit. So all of those are defensive spiritual weapons. Uh, and then, but of course, the sword of the spirit is the word of God, and that's the only offensive weapon that uh, that we really take with us into battle. Uh, that sort of protects us from the enemy in the first place. Um, and so, I highlighted a couple of the metaphorical um, uh, elements of what Paul's talking about in the, in the first century context uh, with that, with, regarding the armor itself and sort of how it um, how it protects us, and not only physically but spiritually, and in, in, in is what Paul is really getting at. Um, and yeah, and, and as you mentioned, that that was a great point. Yeah, we're we're really not, you know, just walking through life uh, where where God is, you know, doing everything for us, and we're sort of passively getting by. It's more like we're always in battle, <laughs> and Satan's trying to get our mind and and, and win over our our heart and our soul and in God and the Holy spirit are there defending us at all times. And it's, yeah. uh, if you sort of think of, of your life, yeah. in a, in a battlefield, um, that if we could see it, we'd probably freak out and go running for the hills. You know? <laughs> uh, fortunately, God shields us from seeing what's going on in most cases, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's really a battle that, uh, that we deal with daily. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm very uh, much a proponent for using that offensive weapon, that, that word of God, the sword of the spirit, um, at all times. So constantly being in the word because Satan will, will come at you at, at any moment, uh, you know, for, for the smallest things. And so we have to kind of be on our guard, uh, offensively so that we know what the word says so we can defend ourselves when he comes at us that way. Yeah. We're just about out of time, but I wanted to, to talk just for a moment about the goal of being transformed by the spirit in that we are growing in Christ likeness. That's ultimately uh, what our goal is to become mm-hmm. more like him. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, Second uh, Peter 3.18 talks about it. It's, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So um, there's, and there's several, uh, you know, th- different theologians have different positions. Some, some will, uh, pretty much everyone agrees on some type of sanctification. Some agree it's a once and for all. Some think that it's progressive, which is the view that I take, that we're constantly working towards it. That's how I see it in Scripture. Um, and so what I feel is that as long as we're making the effort 
um, God honors that. And so he'll always continue to bless us that way. And, and uh, of course, we'll never reach, as I mentioned in the book, we'll never achieve full perfection in this lifetime. <laughs> but Christ has already achieved it for us, and certainly we'll get there uh, once we see him face to face. Yeah, absolutely. He's promised to finish the work that he began in us. There is so much more in your book that time doesn't permit us to, to talk about, but I do want to encourage our listeners to pick up a copy of Transformed by the Spirit. Craig Prather is the uh, author and, again, has a connection with Multnomah University. Just delighted to have you at least by phone back in the Pacific Northwest, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you. Yeah, it's been my honor. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up next, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Before we get started, I want to let you know that you could win a cruise with Dave and Ann Wilson. Eight days of marriage enrichment. Eight day, seven night, love it. It's actually love like you mean it. It's a cruise. Uh, it's a cabin for two, February 6th through February 13th, 2022. They'll be departing from Port um, Canaveral, Florida, traveling to the Bahamas, Jamaica, Haiti, Coco Cay, plus extra money to cover additional expenses. Just log on to kpdq.com, keyword love. kpdq.com, keyword love. Family life, love you better. Cruise. That's coming up in 2022. Well, Burger King is challenging Chick-fil-A over gay rights using a clever bit of bigotry to compare themselves to Christian-owned Chick-fil-A by tweeting during Pride Month, even on Sundays, your chicken sandwich craving can do good. We are making a donation uh, to at uh, HRC for every Chick-Ching or Chick-King sold, kind of the cash registers town. Well, a poll, 71% of Democrats want healthy people to stay home. The Gallup poll finds 87% of Republicans and 64% of independents say it's time to start living normally. Well, the parents of a murdered child at a protest are suing Atlanta's mayor. The parents of an eight-year-old girl shot and killed last summer at a protest encampment in Atlanta filed a lawsuit Monday against city officials, arguing that their failure to enforce public safety by clearing the barricade around a fast food restaurant resulted in the child's death. The complaint was filed in Fulton County State Court by the parents of Sequoia Turner, who died on the 4th of July and named Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, Interim Police Chief Rodney Bryant, and Councilmember Joyce Shepard, as well as Wendy's International. The city knew that this was a dangerous space, and they did nothing about it, Attorney um, Mauli Davis said at a Monday press conference in Atlanta. Meanwhile, LeBron James has been declared the most hated player in the NBA. Well, the story notes kowtowing to China, doxing a policeman, and leaving the court area uh, late in a divisive playoff loss. It all adds up. And Oregon once again made national news. So Oregon Democrats are pushing to legalize prostitution and actually argue it will help slow sex trafficking. Not sure how that equation adds up, but Washington State is giving pot as a vaccination incentive. The Pacific Northwest is in a tight competition for who has the most insane uh, number of ideas and is the most insane state. Well, a Senate report says the Capitol riot response was hindered by the backlash from the George Floyd protest response. And former President um, Barack Obama is blaming Donald Trump for the rise in anti-Semitism. 
And the Department of Justice has proposed new firearms regulations. You can read more on that. The American Military News. The instigator of the San Antonio Chick-fil-A ban loses re-election, PJ Media reports. Well, in immigration, 10,864 Venezuelans have poured into Texas, according to Epic Times. And the Supreme Court of the United States has ruled there are no permanent residency rights for illegal aliens. Well, the daily number of U.S. COVID cases has fallen to 15,000, and the FDA has approved the first Alzheimer's drug in two decades. President Biden and Janet Yellen want a 15 percent global minimum tax, and Netanyahu alleges Israeli election fraud. Russia threatens to leave the International Space Station. Let me repeat another story you may not have caught. President Biden and Janet Yellen want a 15 percent global minimum tax. Now, we're not talking about federal taxes or state taxes. We're not talking about local uh, government taxes. This is a 15 percent global minimum tax on top of all of the taxes that you uh, owe in your own country. Let that sink in for a moment. Well, on this day in history, 1966, a merger is announced between the National and American Football Leagues to take effect in 1970. 1967, on this day in history, during the Six-Day Middle East War, 34 American servicemen are killed when Israel attacks the USS Liberty, a Navy intelligence-gathering ship in the Mediterranean. Israel would later say the Liberty had been mistaken for an Egyptian vessel. 1968, authorities announced the capture in London of James Earl Ray, the suspected assassin of Martin Luther King Jr. Finally, on this day in history, the National Rifle Association elects actor Charlton Heston to be its president. Well, the bipartisan group of senators on Tuesday released its report on the deadly Capitol riot on the 6th of January and offered recommendations to help prevent a similar breach in the future. The Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee and the Senate Rules Committee announced the investigation two days after the riot broke out. The months-long investigation included two hearings, and committees reviewed thousands of documents, a press release said. Members interviewed workers from the Capitol Police and various law enforcement agencies. Well, the investigation seemed to be primarily focused on the shortcomings pertaining to intelligence sharing, preparedness, and the response time of reinforcements. The issue has created a deep political fissure in Washington. Imagine that, a deep political fissure in Washington. Well, Senate Republicans last week, they blocked the creation of a bipartisan panel Panel to further investigate. Um, the vote was 54 to 35, which was six votes shy of the 60 needed to take up the House bill. The report released Tuesday was compiled by Democrat Senators Gary Peters and Amy Klobuchar and Republican Rob Portman and Roy Blunt. The investigation found breakdowns at nearly every step of the way from the FBI and Department of Homeland Security, failing to raise the adequate alarm about the threat of violence to the lack of preparation by Capitol Police and other agencies. It included new details about the police officers on the front lines who suffered chemical burns, brain injuries and broken bones, and who told senators that they were left with no direction when command systems broke down, according to the Associated Press. The report recommended immediate changes to give the Capitol police chief more authority to provide better planning and equipment for law enforcement and to streamline intelligence gathering among federal agencies. There was no functional incident commanders and some senior officers were fighting instead of giving orders. USCP leadership never took control of the uh, radio system that was available to them to communicate orders to frontline officers the investigation found. I was horrified 
that no deputy chief or above was on the radio or helping us, one officer told the committee in an anonymous statement. For hours, the screams on the radio were horrific. The sights were unimaginable, and there was a complete loss of control. For hours, no chief or above uh, took command and control. Officers were begging and pleading for help for medical triage, end quote. Well, the report blamed an opaque process for delaying the request for National Guard assistance and pointing out that these troops were not activated or staged appropriately to respond to the emergency. The committees recommended that the chief of the Capitol Police should have a direct line with the National Guard. The senators called for Capitol Police Intelligence Bureau to ensure the bureau is adequately staffed and all agents and analysts are properly trained to receive the uh, receive and analyze intelligence information. They also called for new attention on social media posts to gauge threat levels. My understanding is it was known that this was going to happen a day or so before it happened. So this lack of preparedness uh, is uh, inexcusable. Capitol Police should conduct joint training exercises with federal, state and local governments in the future, the report said. The committee said it is important for the mobilization of additional National Guard uh, members from neighboring jurisdictions to provide immediate assistance and report to command and control in the event of an emergency. Capitol Police issued a statement saying it appreciates and welcomes the analysis conducted by the Senate committees. The USCP, that's the Capitol Police, acknowledged it must improve how it collects and shares intelligence with its own officers and stakeholders and has made significant changes since the attack. The statement read, neither the USCP nor the FBI, U.S. Secret Service, Metropolitan Police or our other law enforcement partners knew thousands of rioters were planning to attack the U.S. Capitol. The known intelligence simply didn't support that conclusion, the statement said. Blunt said the focus now should be on implementing the recommendations. We owe it to the brave men and women who responded that day to do everything we can to prevent an attack like this from ever happening again and in every instance ensure that the Capitol Police have the training and equipment that they need you're listening to the georgine rice show we'll be back you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq hey welcome back you're listening to the georgine rice show well the department of defense response to the january 6th capitol riot was colored by criticism it had received about its response to unrest after the murder of george floyd according to the new senate report the bipartisan group of senators uh, who released the report on the capitol riot offered recommendations, as I mentioned in our last segment. But the Department of Defense's response was informed by criticism it received about its response to the civil unrest after the murder of George Floyd during the summer of 2020. The report also read, The Department of Defense was criticized for its heavy-handed response, particularly flying military helicopters over the protests in the summer of 2020. It added, The Department of Defense officials cited lessons learned from the summer of 2020 as guiding its decision-making for January of 2021. Uh, Department of Defense officials believed it needed control measures and rigor before deploying DCNG personnel, including a clear deployment plan to avoid the appearance of over-militarization. The decision came in the wake of the criticism over a clash between law enforcement officers and protesters in Washington, D.C.'s Lafayette Square and surrounding streets in June of 2020. Law enforcement used tear gas and other riot control tactics to clear protesters from that area to allow then-President Trump and senior administration officials to walk to St. John's Episcopal Church. Well, one day before the Capitol riot, Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser rebuffed federal reinforcement in a public letter to the Department of Justice, saying that 
the Metropolitan Police Department is prepared for this week's First Amendment activities. Well, after the riot, Bowser noted that the Capitol Police did not request additional police or guard before the protests and that she does not have jurisdiction to send police or National Guard to Capitol Hill. I think a more robust presence on the ground would have maintained order, she said, placing blame on the federal government. Uh, you know, apparently you can't have it both ways. Well, the report is a result of the months long investigation that was conducted by Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, the Senate Rules Committee. The group announced the investigation just two days after the riot occurred. Well, later this month, U.S. intelligence agencies are going to present to Congress a highly anticipated unclassified report about what they know about unidentified flying objects, also known as UFOs, or as the Pentagon now calls them, unexplained aerial phenomenon, UAPs. The jury is still out on whether the report will contain the answers that UFO enthusiasts are looking for. The recent military encounters with UAPs, again, Unexplained aerial phenomenon may be proof of uh, contacts with extraterrestrial life or simply evidence of other nations using their uh, aerial skills. Well, the preparation of the report marks a milestone of interest in UFOs or UAPs. It's taken off in recent years following the Navy's release of once classified videos of encounters that fighter pilots had in 2004 and 2014 with UAPs. Well, the video raised interest not only with um, UFO enthusiasts, but also among members of Congress eager to learn if the UAPs captured in the video represent advanced technological threats from foreign adversaries. The Florida GOP Senator Marco Rubio, then chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, succeeded in including language in the Intelligence Authorization Act late last year that required the intelligence community to prepare for the committee to detail unclassified report on UAPs. Well, a spokesperson for Rubio told in uh, rather ABC News that the report is due to be submitted to Congress on the 29th of this month, which is the date that marks the 180 day deadline required by the legislation when it went into effect the 1st of January. Men and women we have entrusted with the defense of our uh, country are reporting encounters with unidentified aircraft with superior capabilities, Rubio said in a statement provided to ABC News. We cannot allow the stigma of UFOs to keep us from seriously investigating this. The forthcoming report is uh, one step in that process, but it will not be the last, end quote. Well, the report is uh, is being prepared by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and the UAP Task Force, again, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, an organization um, stood up by the uh, Pentagon last September to look at the U.S. military's encounters with these UAPs. We're providing context and information that we have on these phenomena on our uh, forces uh, rather, our focus is on, again, on supporting the DNI's uh, efforts to produce this report. Well, though it, uh, it's going to be an unclassified report, it is possible that its contents will not satisfy UFO enthusiasts anxious to learn if the encounters are, in fact, contacts with extraterrestrials simply because it will be an intelligence report. Well, the protection of methodologies and an important part of how the UAP task force operates, that's according to one Pentagon official, this is an intelligence-driven effort and in intelligence matters, uh, you always try to protect the sources and methods used in order to prevent potential adverse adversaries rather from getting uh, an idea of how we learn things. And the report will reply on more than just eyewitness recollections of their encounters. It's going to be focused on the the data collected by the highly sensitive sensors used by U.S. military to detect adversaries. And again, that's expected to come up at the end of the month. 
and that will be on uh, June the 29th. So it'll be interesting uh, to see uh, what they are able to tell us about unexplained aerial phenomenon. And of course, the concern is whether or not our uh, adversaries, other nations, uh, foreign adversaries have technological advancements uh, that we are unaware of and uh, ill-prepared to confront. In other news, Byron Tanner Cross, he's a physical education teacher. He won an initial battle with the Loudoun County Public Schools, which placed him on leave after a, well, controversial speech denouncing a proposed policy regarding gender. Well, in a letter Tuesday, 12th Circuit Judge James Plowman He ordered the school district to restore Cross's position as a physical education teacher at Leesburg Elementary School. The temporary injunction will allow Cross to maintain his job until the 31st of December, at which point the injunction will dissolve unless other uh, orders are put in place. Well, Plowman argued that Cross was was likely rather to succeed in his case uh, that was brought to uh, brought to trial that the school district had adversely impacted his First Amendment rights and that reinstating his job was within the public interest. Well, Cross uh, rather sparked an uproar last month when he told LCPS, that's the school board, that he wouldn't affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it's against his religion. It's lying to a child. It's abuse of a child and it's sinning against our God, end quote. Well, just days after that speech, Cross was told in a letter not to come on the school's premises. The letter vaguely stated the school district was investigating allegations that you engaged in conflict conduct that has had a disruptive impact on the operations. Now, that conduct was speaking at a public forum in his private uh, capacity as a citizen. Plowman's letter rejected the school district's argument that it was suspending Cross not due to his speech, but because of the disruption it created. Well, the court has found that the disruption relief upon um, was insufficient, the uh, charge. Uh, he wrote, adding that Cross' speech and religious content were central uh, to the discussion. Well, Plowman also argued that Cross' interest in expressing his First Amendment speech outweighed the defendant's interest in restricting the same and the level of disruption the defendant asserts did not uh, serve to meaningfully disrupt the operations or services of Leesburg Elementary School. Well, LCPS, which is the school board, declined to comment. Alliance Defending Freedom um, uh, praised the ruling, saying nobody should be punished for expressing concern about a proposal, a proposed government policy, especially when the government invites comments on that policy. Uh, for that reason, we are pleased at the court's decision to halt Loudoun County Public Schools' retaliation against Tanner Cross while his lawsuit continues. Educators are just like everybody else. They have ideas and opinions that uh, they should be free to express, advocating for solutions they believe uh, in should be uh, should not cross them um, from their jobs. Plowman similarly held that cross uh, the comments constituted private and constitutionally protected speech. Uh, and that was um, ADF uh, president and CEO Michael Ferris speaking. Well, the Supreme Court has punted on including women in the draft. They cited deferring to Congress. You know, that other branch of uh, government. We'll tell you more about that when we return in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. As I said just before the break, the Supreme Court punted on including women in the draft and they decided deference to Congress. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But I also want to make sure that you know that Truth for Life well, they have an offer for you. Um, Alistair Begg has just released a new book titled Brave by Faith. 
In this uh, relevant book, he takes a candid look at society's growing intolerance of biblical beliefs as secularization gains popularity. He challenges us to consider how we'll respond when pressure to go along with the flow rather than obey God and stay faithful to his commandments. Brave by Faith follows the story of Daniel and his friends while they're exiled in Babylon. And Alistair Begg draws from the many similarities during the time of Daniel to our own world now. There's much to learn about how he stayed faithful when the entire Babylonian culture was against him. You can order Brave by Faith from Alistair Begg for any gift amount at truthforlife.org. Sounds like a book certainly worth reading. Well, the Supreme Court on Monday punted on a case that could have required women to be included in the selective service system, the military draft, citing Congress's ongoing consideration of the issue. Well, the court denied a petition from the National Coalition for Men to hear the case on the system that currently requires all men from 18 to 25 to register for potential military service. In a national crisis, well, the group said that the continued integration of women into the military and the reversal of the ban on women in combat removed the basis of the 1981 case that upheld the selection of only men for the draft. Well, the selective service system opposed uh, opposing a change that would mandate women register for the draft emphasized that the uh, the court previously deferred to Congress judgment on the selective service system. Justice Sonia Sotomayor agreed with that argument in the statement also signed by Justice Stephen Breyer and Brett Kavanaugh. Well, in the precedent that upheld the men-only draft, Sotomayor wrote, this court upheld the act's gender-based registration requirement against an uh, an equal protection challenge, citing the fact that women were excluded from combat roles and hence would not be needed in the event of a draft. The role of women in the military has changed dramatically since then. Beginning in 1991, thousands of women have served with distinction in a wide range of combat roles, from operating military aircraft and naval vessels to participating in boots-on-the-ground infantry missions, Sotomayor continued. Women have passed the military's demanding tests to become um, U.S. Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, and Green Berets. As of 2015, there are no uh, no longer any positions in the United States Armed Forces closed to women, end quote, end quote, rather. But Sotomayor continued to note that Congress created a commission to study whether women should be included in the draft, the draft rather, which released uh, its report last year saying that they should. And in recent months, she said, senators including um, Armed Services Committee Chairman Jack Reed, a Democrat from Rhode Island, said that he wants the upcoming defense bill to include a provision requiring women to register for the selective service system. It is not clear that effort will succeed, but nonetheless, the Supreme Court should give Congress space to act before weighing in. Sotomayor went on to say, at least for now, the court's longstanding def- deference to Congress on matters of national defense and military affairs cautions against granting review while Congress actively weighs the issue. The Supreme Court is nearing the end of its term with approximately 20 merits uh, cases uh, that are left to decide and uh, what is expected to be high stakes um, major opinions, a flurry of them. Well, the court's new 6-3 Republican-appointed majority will be closely watched to see how it handles hot-button issues like health care, freedom of speech, religious freedom, and more. Now, I say a 6-3 Republican-appointed majority, in the best of all possible worlds, that would not matter. Republican or Democrat, these should be justices who are looking at what the Constitution actually says and making their determinations on that rather than what the public mores happen to be at any given time. Sadly, uh, it does matter because the Supreme Court has been to some degree politicized.
Well, staying true to the Constitution requires Roe's reversal. Mary Soch points out that one of her favorite units uh, was on the Supreme Court's um, on the Supreme Court, rather. Uh, students were required to memorize the uh, justices' names, review various cases, and argue how the justices should rule in each case. Uh, she is now in the policy world, but she taught history in Catholic schools prior to that. Well, last week, the Supreme Court agreed to review Dobbs versus Jackson women's health. It's a case asking whether Mississippi's ban on abortion after 15 weeks is constitutional. The court's decision to review the case, it's a terrifying pro-abortion activists across the country because not only does Dobbs have the potential to overturn Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, although it's unlikely from my perspective, if the Supreme Court justice follow their obligation to the Constitution, that certainly could be the case. The Dobbs decision should overturn Roe versus Wade and Casey um, versus um, Planned Parenthood. In Roe, the court argued that under the 14th Amendment, the Due Process Clause, a woman was right, um, has a right rather, to privacy, and as such, she has a constitutional right to an abortion. As part of this decision, the court said that the states had the power to regulate abortion in the first trimester for any reason, in the second trimester in the interest of the woman's health, and in the third trimester, the state could outlaw abortion. In the court's 1992 decision, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the court reaffirmed Roe's finding that a woman has the right to an abortion, but changed the requirements for outlawing abortion from the trimester framework to a viability framework. Well, as any former student uh, should be able to attest, the words right to privacy that are used to justify the right to an abortion in both Roe and Casey do not appear anywhere in the Constitution. Neither do the words viability or trimester. The seven justices who ruled in favor of Roe and the five justices who ruled in favor of Planned Parenthood uh, fell into the same trap that plagued um, students for many years. They ruled based on their personal opinion, not on the United States Constitution. Well, many have speculated that the outcome of Dobbs will be less than satisfactory to those in the pro-life movement, suggesting that the decision will likely favor a more incremental walk back of Roe and Casey rather than a full reversal. I hope they're wrong, but I think they're probably right. Uh, she goes on to say, this is Mary Soch, she's with the Family Research Council Center for Human Dignity and a former teacher, says, um, if my middle school students, who are very bright but still middle school students, were the ones deciding Dobbs, I could understand another failure to decide an abortion case based on the Constitution. I could understand that for a third time, middle school students might substitute their own opinions, their own judgment, and create their own framework for when and how abortion should be allowed if at all. But the nine individuals deciding this case have been educated far beyond middle school by teachers and professors far more knowledgeable than me. In fact, these nine men and women are some of the best and brightest in this country, uh, the best and brightest the country has to offer. And more importantly, they've taken an oath to defend and uphold the Constitution. Well, as the Dobbs case is argued and the opinion is written, the pro-life movement must um, pray that these nine justices are able to recognize that overturning Roe and Casey is not a form of judicial advocacy, a decision based on religious principles, or an ideological answer to the pro-life movement. Overturning Roe and Casey is what fidelity to the Constitution requires. Now, is that likely to happen? Again, I'm very skeptical. I'd like to be proven wrong. So my prayer would be that that's precisely what would happen next. 
Meanwhile, the U.S. Department of Justice has subpoenaed material related to a memoir the Democratic governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, authored during the pandemic as part of an investigation into COVID deaths in the state's nursing homes. People familiar with the situation are saying the Wall Street Journal reported that prosecutors in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York requested communications associated with Cuomo's book, American Crisis. The newspaper's sources say such materials included contracts and documents used during the, the pitching process to publishers. The people familiar with the case suggested that the subpoenas were issued because the prosecutors wanted to probe the details of the nursing home debacle discussed in the memoir. Well, state officials who assisted with editing early versions of Cuomo's book were among the individuals who received subpoenas for materials, the Wall Street Journal reported. Republican lawmakers have accused the Cuomo administration of intentionally manipulating and obscuring the COVID fatality data, intentionally undercounting thousands of deaths in New York's assisted living facilities in an attempt to shield the governor from political criticism. In February, federal prosecutors initiated a criminal investigation into the governor's alleged mismanagement of the state's nursing homes during that pandemic and lo- uh, lockdowns. A January report from the office, uh, office rather, of New York Attorney General Letitia James suggested that nursing home deaths were potentially undercounted by as much as half. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Bill Haslam uh, wrote an op-ed. He's a contributor to Christianity Today, and I appreciated the headline to his article. Should Christians think biblically about our politics or think politically about our faith? I think on first blush, we'd all answer the question correctly, but I wonder if we respond as we're walking out our faith correctly, and if politics is influencing um, our faith more than it should rather than the other way around. Well, he writes that in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis points out that God reveals political ends in the Bible, but he is not as specific about the means to achieve those ends. We're supposed to feed the hungry, but we are not told how we should provide the meal. We are supposed to pursue justice, provide for widows and orphans, and fight oppression. We are not told about the best form of government to do all of that. Well, this is why Lewis warned against trying to establish a Christian political party or to say any party represented the Christian position. His fear was, if that happened, you would have a political party with basic disagreements on key political issues, or there would be a group of Christians maintaining that they represent all Christians on matters on which the Bible is not clear. Our challenge is to think biblically about our politics rather than thinking politically about our faith. That is growing more and more difficult in today's politics that are driven by passionate outrage. In 2011, about two weeks before I was sworn in as governor of Tennessee, I went to visit my um, predecessor, Phil Breedison. We sat in his office, which was soon to become my office, amid the packing boxes and last working papers of his eight-year term. I was there to get in any advice he wanted to give me as uh, we prepared to take, as I prepared to take his place. His advice was ageless. The governor should do those things that only the governor can do, end quote. As governor, you face an endless list of people and issues competing for your time. Every week we had a scheduling, uh, scheduling meeting where we scheduled teams, uh, brought me a notebook full of requests for meetings. In addition to the myriad requests to speak or attend an event, there were legislators to meet with, communities to visit, businesses to recruit, uh, 40,000 state employees to lead, and in-office meeting requests to consider. Deciding how to use the limited amount of time is one of the most difficult challenges for anyone in 
elected office. That's why Governor Bredesen's advice to me was so good. It is uh, incredibly easy to fill up your calendar and your agenda with things other people feel you should do, but don't really help advance your purpose. Similarly, the church should seize this time to be about the things that are only the church can do. Nathan Hatch, the president of Wake Forest University, says this is the opportunity for the church to be the church, to return to the task of religious and moral information, to build communities that bind people together, to instill a deep conviction that life can actually have transcendent purpose and is not all about individual wants and desires, and if you will, a life in which that transcendent purpose radiates into the world at large, end quote. So how can the church be the church? We can realize that our battle is not with people who disagree with us politically or with the culture that seems to be against us. Our battle is to bring meaning and love to a a world struggling with meaninglessness and despair in a way that has rarely been seen. Today's climate of meaninglessness is so severe that a new term, deaths of despair, has been coined to describe the mounting numbers of deaths due to suicide, alcoholism, or drug overdose. Drug overdose deaths are increasing. College campuses are dealing with what is almost an epidemic of depression. Fewer and fewer people report having more than one or two close friends. Our world increasingly longs for the words of grace and truth that only the church can give. I believe every Christian is called to be in the public square in some way. Maybe it is in elected office or it could be to serve as an informed and caring citizen and voter. We would be uh, weakened as communities and as a nation without the faithful presence of believers. But the danger comes when those believers see their faith as a means to bring about the political ends they want. The church, the body of believers, has a key role in the political process, but that role has to be marked by humility and reflection. It also has to be marked by a commitment to a more faithful, uh, to be more faithful rather to the word of God than we are to either political party. And the words of uh, Gary Hahn, founder of International Justice Mission, the church should be using our influence to bless the world out of love rather than cursing the world out of fear. When it comes to the public square, the church has to come from a fear of what we are losing to a deep desire to share the hope that is in us. First Peter 3.15, adapted from Faithful Presence, The Promise and the Peril of Faith in the Public Square by Bill Haslam, published by Thomas Nelson, available wherever books are sold. Well, Bill Haslam, as I mentioned, is the former two-term mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee, former two-term governor of Tennessee. He was reelected in 2014 with the largest victory margin of any gubernatorial election in Tennessee history. Well, during his uh, his tenure, Tennessee became the fastest improving state in the country in K-12 education and the first state to provide free community college or technical school for all of its citizens, in addition to adding 475,000 new jobs. Uh, He serves as the board of uh, Teach for America and Young Life. In the fall of 2019, he became a visiting professor of political science at Vanderbilt University. He and his wife of some 38 years have three children, nine grandchildren, and you can find his uh, piece on Christianity Today. But I so appreciated the, again, the uh, the headline to that piece that makes clear um, by asking the question, should Christians think biblically about politics or think politically about faith? That yes, indeed, we as followers of Christ should think biblically about everything, but certainly about our politics as well, and to make sure we approach these issues in their proper order. Now, the challenge for me is I spend my days um, curating news and uh, reading all kinds of stories, things that I would never bring up uh, on the air as... um, 
as I do on a daily basis, um, things that are discouraging and sad and um, off-putting and anger producing, trying to, to select stories that are relevant and meaningful uh, in a limited number, but making sure that um, in my own heart, not just for the sake of the job that I do, that in my own heart, I'm trying to think biblically about politics and not uh, political about faith. And I think we would do well to honor uh, Christ for whom we are all called to be ambassadors if we do that rather than try to do the other way around. Well, I want to mention that uh, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Josh Burnett. He is a Chick-fil-A owner and operator. He's also the co-author of Adulting 101. This is the second book. It's published by Broad Street. It's for those who are struggling to make that transition from childhood to adulthood. He'll join us tomorrow on the program. And then an interview that we had scheduled a week or two ago that had to be canceled at the last minute at Mr. Horowitz's request has been rescheduled for tomorrow. David Horowitz will be my guest. The Enemy Within, How a Totalitarian Movement is Destroying America. And if you recall the the history and background of David Horowitz, he was a flaming liberal by his own description and admission in the 60s who has since become a, um, I guess I'll just call him a flaming conservative. He's written a number of excellent books on the culture and his latest, The Enemy Within, How a Totalitarian Movement is Destroying America. And then on Friday, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news as well as the day's headlines. So that's what's uh, coming up later in the week. I also want to um, introduce you to a new program on KPDQ's AM. It's uh, Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Weekdays uh, at 3 on True Talk 800. Living God Ministries was established for the purpose of evangelism and discipleship. The ministry began in 2006, and you can tune into the program on our sister station, uh, True Talk 800. Again, that's uh, that's AM. want to thank James Blend for uh, producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, Dan Rice for the use of his office, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.